Welcome to Fruiting Body Podcast with your host, Brendan. We are here in Phuket, Thailand, and we have two absolute legends on the show today. We have George Hickman and Woody. Uh, Andrew Wood, correct? Correct. Got it. Yeah, I was going to go with Woody, and then I, I, my, I had this brain fart. Actually, this is an, an outro to an intro. Only people on the set will know what that means. Um, so we're going to pass that on, and uh, before we, we uh, dive too deep, subscribe. Hans will put something here. Uh, it helps us, helps us grow in the algorithm. Like, smash that bell. Uh, I don't know. Apparently, that's what YouTube likes. Uh, in this podcast, it's for anyone that wants to learn about the evolution of MMA uh, and a little bit of Muay Thai on the island of Phuket. We're going to go through that journey with George as he came over to Tiger Muay Thai and how that evolved with Woody and Alex and bringing that to their new gym, Bangtao Muay Thai, here in Bangtao. Finally, some people decided to open up a gym here. I've been waiting for this for years. Um, I hope it doesn't bring too many people, but I think it's going to. I truly believe this will probably be one of the best gyms in the world, and I'm not just trying to build their egos up. I've talked to a lot of people about this as well. So without further ado, let's get this started. First of all, thanks a lot for joining us today. And why don't you take it away and give yourself a little bit of an introduction of who you are? Uh, I'm George Hickman. I'm from uh, Wilmington, North Carolina, on the East Coast. And uh, yeah, I've wrestled my whole life. And uh, once I was done with uh, college, I wrestled through college. And then once I was done, I moved back to, uh, back home for about six months where I started training MMA. I knew the year before my last year of college that I, uh, I wanted to start fighting MMA and I started doing that. Had two amateur fights, moved to Atlanta, Georgia for about five years where I uh, fought professionally and then um, moved to Phuket in 2014 and here we are. Yeah, so I, I listened to a podcast. I tried to get this done uh, this morning so everything was fresh. So in the gym, listen to your podcast and the second half I, I listened to a podcast with yourself. Um, you made that transition over to Phuket. Now, that was originally kind of this this uh, trainer's, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? It was, it was like you're, you're, uh, they were putting the trainers kind of through like a test to be able to, to determine who would come into Tiger Muay Thai and actually be a head trainer or be a part of the team? Uh, no, so I came originally in 2014 for uh, the Tiger Muay Thai tryouts. Oh, sorry. This is the w yeah. what I was looking to say. Yeah. So, like, Tiger Muay Thai the, tryouts. The tryouts to be actually like uh, a team member, I guess you could say. Um, I think there was maybe one one uh, one tryout like two years before that where uh, like Kai Car France was on that one, I believe. Um, but I ended up, I didn't come to, to Phuket, you know, with ambitions of uh, becoming a coach. I came to to make the team and, uh, and to fight and, and train and you know, my goal was to get into the UFC pretty much like every other MMA fighter. Um, but, yeah, I started coaching relatively quickly after moving here. So that that would have been 2014. So you're, you've probably been in, what, 29, 28 at this time? Yes, I'm be 37 this year. Yeah. So, yeah, I was about 28 when I came, I think. And once you, you, you've... You've made that tryout and you've got on the team. What did that What did that represent being on the team at Tiger Muay Thai? Does that mean like they're sponsoring you, all the training, all the food is paid for, and, you, and, and essentially like as you go to these fights, they're taking a percentage of your purse, or what did that completely uh, encompass? Uh, at that time, um, if you were a tryout winner, they, it was free training. Um, I think you got two meals and two protein shakes a day. And I think uh, like 3,000 baht stipend or something like that. Uh, 
it's changed a lot over the years. Um, but at that time, it was, you know, different management and things like that. And, uh, yeah, it was two mills, free training. Um, and I don't think at that time there was people were paying a percentage to the gym. Um, so you, you could go out and fight. I, I, so I checked, um, I checked you up on SureDog. Because um, I, I listened to that podcast and you said you were fighting. I didn't realize actually you, you were, you were uh, fighting MMA before you transitioned into coach. Um, what kind of pivoted you from leaving that uh, MMA career and be actually becoming a coach full time? Well, probably. So I got here on April, April 4th of 2014. And um, pro- I don't know, a couple months after that, you know, I started helping some of the, some of the guys with just like wrestling and stuff. Um, and then by about November of 2014, um, I was working at Tiger as uh, the wrestling coach and the assistant MMA coach. And I never had, eventually I became the head coach probably like, I don't know, a year or so after that. Um, but my plan was never to like, you know, stop fighting. Like my last fight that I had in 2016, I won. And I had uh, uh, a knee injury. I had, I had surgery before uh, one of my knees, and it was swollen a bit. And I think I like had sprained it in the fight. And during that time, when I wasn't training, uh, some of the guys, you know, they wanted um, basically they wanted more of me as a coach. So then, I still didn't plan to to stop, you know, fighting at that time. But um, just slowly, like I started traveling a lot, going to UFC events with fighters and. Um, and I've loved coaching, you know, I used to coach wrestling and stuff as well. And, um, yeah, just kind of like, basically I thought to myself, you know, I don't know, maybe three, four or five months after the fight, like something's going to give, whether it's my fighting career or whether it's coaching either, you know, the team of guys that I, you know, help train, they're going to suffer or my fighting's going to suffer because I'm going to be giving time to that. And, um, and obviously I loved Phuket and, uh, and my wife now was, you know, I was dating her at the time. And, um, yeah, I just kind of felt like, you know what, it's the same. I get the same emotions from coaching, uh, you know, cornering people and stuff. You just have less control. I have more control when I was the one fighting. So uh, you still get the same rush and things like that. Uh, but I just felt long-term, you know, I thought, like, I was okay at coaching. And, uh, you know, I could have goals as well, uh, you know, becoming a coach and, yeah, and it's of, hard if, if you're spreading yourself, your energy too thin in, in whether you're coaching or fighting, it's, you got to pick one. And, um, yeah, the, I, like I was explaining earlier, we had Mike Malott and we're sponsoring him and that's kind of, he said the same thing. It's like, it's either you're a corner man, you're a coach or you're a fighter. You, it's impossible to be to very be hard both. to do. all. Of yeah. That. It's, it's too much. And, and you're, you're just your mental energy. Like you need to focus on yourself before you know, these people that you want to be coaching. Uh, to shoot it back o- over to, to Woody, if you want to give yourself a quick introduction and then we're going to figure out how you guys came together. Yeah, sure. Um, so my proper name's Andrew Wood. Um, obviously, everyone calls me Woody. <laughs> and everyone knows me as Woody. Um, I first came to Thailand, actually, in 2005. Um, I came out to train. It was in between rugby seasons. Um, and uh, currently, at that time, I was living near, near Manchester in the UK. Um, and then I didn't make it back to Thailand until 2010. Um, Tiger Muay Thai each time. And then kind of from there, um, I'm obviously a strength and conditioning coach. I was noticing that there was no, we were getting all these high level fighters coming through the gym and there was no S&C kind of 
set up for them. This is so like two, sorry, 2010. 2010. So yeah. I actually came to, to train and fight, but then when I was there, I noticed that there was nothing going on in terms of the strength and conditioning. Um, and yeah, I made it back in 2012 and kind of set, set the wheels in motion. And then, like I say, all those years later, here we are. Yeah, here we are, and now we have Bangtown Muay Thai. Uh, this gym is opening up, and the grand opening will be this Saturday. This podcast won't be released until next Tuesday, so okay. uh, we'll do a little shout-out after this, and uh, we'll go put some stuff up at Hugo Hub. Um, how did you guys come together, and, and at this level, now you're your business partners, but initially, could you guys maybe a little bit of back and forth and explain how, how did this relationship begin? So... <laughs> <laughs> So um, <laughs> this better be not X-rated, right? <laughs> no, no, it's all right. We've called each other a few names before, but it's yeah. fine. Um, so obviously, as George said before, he came for the, the tryouts, and I was um, one of the coaches for that tryout. Um, Did you give him the thumbs up, or? <laughs> yeah, like uh, yeah, we, we yeah we yeah. knew George like was very very high level. George actually beat. Uh, Alex Volkanovsky, we had like a Songkran scramble at the end. Oh, yeah. And it was like a grappling competition, and George won it, beat uh, Volko in the final, which was, uh, which was pretty cool. But we all, that, that group there in 2014 was pretty special. Very, like, it was the best tryouts we've we'd had so far. Uh, met George there, and then he kind of started rooming with um, a few guys that I was mates with, a few uh, ex Royal Marines from the UK, and then George kind of started turning British okay. and then we got on more and more <laughs> once that Americanism went <laughs> we, we uh yeah and then we became good friends and I've been out and cornered him for fights and, and, and stuff like that so it's cool I'm sure George has got yeah and so that's initially how this this you guys started this relationship and as you guys were kind of growing together at Tiger Muay Thai I'm sure you've seen not just so many fighters but trainers come and go but what specifically about Phuket and even just training in MMA has kept you guys here so long? I think Thailand is a place that you either you love it after a year or so or you, there's things that drive you insane and you, you can't stay here. But I would say that our group of friends, like that 2014 uh, group, uh, Woody, myself, um, Alex, who's our business partner as well and has been a huge uh, asset and part of this gym. Um, and then eventually my brother coming to, to Thailand. Um, we've just all been very close. And in fact, you know, last weekend when Volkanovsky fought, uh, Imolo, who's a former coach at Tiger as well, um, who's now back in Miami, and uh, Shay Walsh, who was also one of the tryout winners of that year, they all went and watched uh, Alex fight that weekend, and it was like, you know, all the guys back together and um, Eugene Bearman. Like, it's just there's a lot of, like, a lot of history amongst all of us um, coming from. And, you know, we we all met at Tiger Muay Thai. And, um, and yeah, that's, you know, we've all been very, you know, we have a group chat. We've all, we may not see each other all the time, but, you know, we're always in talks with each other. And, um, yeah, it was just like Woody said, it was a very – special group of people that that came together and a lot of us are you know still very close would you guys be considered like the pioneers of mma and phuket or was there a generation before you guys arrived no there's i think woody can probably elaborate on that more but there was coaches before me like when i came uh roger huerta was the person that you know like i'm very thankful to this day for him because he's the one that gave me the opportunity to be you know his assistant coach 
Um, and eventually, you know, he moved on. But if it wasn't for him, you know, I might not be sitting here. But there was, yeah, there's a long history. I think Woody probably can tell you more about that of MMA and Phuket. Yeah, and I, that that's kind of what we discussed before, just for the, the people listening, whether you're on uh, Spotify, Apple, whatever, or YouTube. The, the idea of this is we're not going to tell the life stories of both these guys, but it's more to focus on the evolution of MMA and how it's gotten to where it is today. And, and now it's a major milestone of a, a gym opening up in Bangtao, um, which I, I, it's, I've kind of been on, on the side of, yes, I wish this was over here because of the people that you're going to bring. And also at the same time, I'm like, I don't want people to know what this hidden gem is up here either. I've been here for six years and like, it's, man, it's, it's gorgeous up here. So back, back to that, if you can speak on the evolution of MMA uh, in Phuket and how that came from maybe AKA and Tiger, or maybe there's a missing piece that I'm not even aware of to where, to what you guys are doing today. So my first experience of like MMA in Thailand was in 2005. So I came, I came to obviously train Muay Thai and whatever else, as I, as I said, in between sort of playing rugby. And um, when I got there, they actually had a... Um, a makeshift cage set up it was only tiny it was like a proper you know just a welding cheap welding job and whatever else but they'd, they'd got a cage and they'd got um a quite high level aussie uh, grappler called daniel sainty who was with elvis sinisich and anthony parosh back in australia um and he was one of their i think he was brown or black at the time so he was quite he was still quite a young guy but just one of those guys that was fully into it uh, so he was started teaching jujitsu. Before that, they had Alex Reed. If you remember Alex Reed from the UK, he was like a bit of a wild man. <laughs> but, this, it, but this would have been like UFC days, like early two thousand, early, early, early. Like, so yeah. two thousand four, two thousand five. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah I have yeah. no idea about yeah. this. So. Yeah, yeah so, even <laughs> even this is. Yeah. So um, so yeah, they, they they had this guy Alex Reed over. He was like guest coaching. So it was just guys that were just kind of dribbling through but they asked them to guest coach when they were there. Um, and then that kind of started the ball rolling a little bit. So actually, Daniel start, wanted us to go. And this is all at Tiger. All at Tiger all Muay Thai, okay. yeah. yeah. Um, so Daniel started teaching grappling but for me and a few few other guys. There was a, a guy called Owen, an Irish guy, and a couple of others. And um, we actually took a team up. I think it was the second Southeast Asia grappling games in Bangkok. And we went up there to a university and um, we all competed. It was the first first time, you know, I was, I'd only had maybe four weeks, five weeks grappling experience. But I'd come from a rugby background and I was quite athletic in my younger days. Um, so I kind of I kind of winged it a little bit. Um, got uh, two silver medals that day, which was pretty cool. <laughs> how, how many people were in the contest? Never you mind. <laughs> Never you mind. Um but yeah, so that was a that was a great experience, and um, so that was kind of my first my first taste of MMA um, in in Phuket. And then fast forward to 2010 when I got back there, um, obviously they started to get the ball rolling with a few guys there, and there was Ray Elby there at the time. Was it considered an MMA gym or still a Muay Thai gym and with some grappling? Still Muay Thai, but it was teetering towards the MMA side. And even or, that time in 2004, 2005, was it still like branded as a Muay Thai gym and just you guys were, you know, Muay trying, Thai, yeah. yeah, purely yeah, Muay Thai. Yeah, yeah. And then you just, because of MMA, decided, hey, why don't we add, you know, some other types of, let's say, martial arts and exercise into this uh, curriculum? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I think that, so the owners, three of the owners were American. 
Um, and they obviously saw uh, an opportunity to, to bring MMA to, to Thailand. So um, I think that's pretty awesome. Who on were their the part. owners back then? Uh, so there was Sean Getchell, uh, Sean Douglas, and a guy, Big Mac, who's, uh, I think he's still in America. And I know the two Seans are actually over here. Sean Douglas, I think, owns a gym in Samui now. Okay. Uh, and I think he was talking about doing something in Singapore as well. But, Did um, they sell that over to the... I, I follow the guy on Instagram. It's a Thai guy now that's like the main owner, but he's kind of behind the scenes more. Yeah, yeah. So I think Big Mac was the main main guy and he bought the other two out or they sold their shares or whatever it might have been. And then from there, he then sold on to the new owners. Okay. Yeah, that that so. happened like right after I moved. And like the management, or right after I came in 2000, like the end of 2014, 2015. So the management changed from like American to Thai, or is it a mix? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. American to Thai. Yeah. American, American to Thai. To Thai. Um, now, you, 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 so we pro you probably didn't see it as much before and as you did. Are you able to talk about the, the dynamic of, of being involved in a gym that's managed by Americans and then that transition to Thai um, and, and tread lightly? Yeah. <laughs> Well, for me, um, to be honest, it was kind of a seamless crossover. Like we we had a great manager before in uh, Will Elliott. Um, he was he was fantastic. Another uh, American guy. He actually works for Diaz Combat Sports now in Canada. Again, we're all part of the same yeah. friendship base, you know. Um, so it was kind of seem a seamless kind of uh, takeover through management because um, the gym was running like clockwork, you know, we all had our, our spots, we all knew what we were doing, and the gym was kind of running itself, and then the new owners came in and, and then um, obviously put new management in and whatever else. Spruced uh, it up. Yeah, and spruced it up, yeah, completely but renovated They're the injecting more capital. And exactly. Yeah, like, when I came, everything was, in 2014, was like bamboo. It was like the old Tiger Muay Thai, and I think there was a phase before, like Woody's saying, before even I got there, like it was held up by bamboo. But then uh, when the current management... Like, man, they, you know, they did everything. Like, the MMA room when I got there was, like, this small little box, and it was hot, and the air conditioning made the mats, like, super wet. And then they built, you know, the outdoor facility and, like, completely changed it in the grill and everything. And now it's, like, you know, this massive place that it is. And it's, um, yeah, it's... And, and it's kind of set, a like, a, a cornerstone or a benchmark of, of what gyms, like, even, like, yourself, that um, if you're going to be successful at that high level in Phuket, you know, what are the standards? Um, could you even imagine that Tiger Muay Thai transitioning into this basically elite athletic performance institute that it, that it is now? And similar to like your own, I, I've went over to your place as well. It's at a, another level, let's say. Um, could you even imagine that in 2005 or did you foresee that happening? No, I mean, I was just, I was just young and training and going out on the base <laughs> so i didn't even think about the future of yeah. uh, the 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 community within thailand but yeah i was so surprised when i got back even just five years later to 2010 and uh, yeah the the change was was phenomenal and then obviously um once george came as well and then that change again in 2015 or whatever just exploded but i think what what really got the ball rolling for tiger was um so George said about Roger Huerta, who, you know, we kind of all of us that are in the t that were the coaches at Tiger were kind of brought in by Roger. So like George said, we owe him a lot for that because we wouldn't be in this position now. Um, but he started to come just to train. And then 
YouTube videos started coming out and social media and, and kind of guys were taking notes because Roger yeah. was a big name, you know, he's on the front cover of Sports Illustrated and whatever else. Um, and then, yeah, from there, more and more keep people came. Phil, Phil Baroni started coming out. Yep. Uh, I think John Fitch was there, a few few other guys, you know, and then that just started the ball rolling for the MMA and, and then Roger, Roger and Brian Ebersole took over the MMA coaching. And then from there, it, it just went up and up and up. Yeah, that's what I had Lynn Miller on. I'm sure you're, you're familiar with her. Had her on the podcast. She was more explaining the the like kind of history of MMA, that side, until what she's doing. Because obviously, it's completely different from what you guys are doing. Right. But she was saying kind of like the, the catalyst or the, the straw that broke the camel's back that really set this off was Tiger Moy, Tiger Muay Thai's uh, presence in social medias and specifically YouTube. Like, that was like the bread and butter of bringing people in. Yeah, it's massive. Right. They've, I mean, like they've, like that whole street is very like organic how it all happened and all the other, you know, gyms coming up. But yeah, they've done like, you know, before me, while I was there, after me, like that place is always going to be pumping because of the, the brand that they've built and the social media presence. And um, yeah, it's pretty like insane to think about all the people that have come through that gym, whether it's coaches or, or fighters, you know, it's, um, it's was a pretty incredible place. Yeah, and, and it, it was kind of like the the cornerstone of why people were coming to the let's call it it is it was still called the Tiger Street, correct? Yeah, yeah. I mean named after that, and you're getting Unit Twenty Seven popping yeah. up, and uh, you know healthy eating, healthy foods, and and there's a lot of options there now. As we move past 2014, when did these other MM, MM, MMA gyms start to pop up and appear, like AKA and uh, I guess Top Team? American top teams on that street as well. Phuket top team. Phuket, sorry, Phuket yeah. top team, uh, which is I'm assuming affiliated to American top team, I or are they just kind of. I think it is. I have I no idea. Just, okay, got it. Yeah. Um, when, when did that all start to appear? Um, what year was that? I think AKA was. Uh, I remember sitting at my desk on the car lot in Atlanta, Georgia, looking at like their Instagram at AKA, and um, and when I came over here, I think it it was built, if I'm not mistaken, right before. I came over or like maybe 2013. Yeah, I think so. Somewhere around that. Because time, yeah. I had like a mentor, Brian Stan, um, that kind of helped me coach me and stuff when I was younger. And he was like, oh, I know, you know, Mike Swick, if you ever want to go there. And um, but obviously, you know, I ended up at Tiger. But I think Phuket top team was, you know, well before I got there. So there's been mm -hmm. other gyms that, you know, besides Tiger that have been around for quite a while. I don't know the like the whole history. Yeah, in yeah. That. yeah. Phuket top team, I know. Um, so Boyd, he just started off with, um, actually a little fight shop down the street next to Mama's at the end of the street at, at Mama's restaurant. And then from there, I think he got him, I don't know the financial thing, but anyway, he opened up Phuket top team. Um, and then he had the Leone brothers and Donny Carlos and, yeah. and whoever else. And I think Bisbin was through there as well. Yeah, Bis he had yeah, some good people. There's been huge, yeah. like big names yeah. that have gone through. Cyborg. There. Like, like think it's yeah. insane to think about like this small little island in a foreign country where, you know, Muay Thai is, you know, the national sport and now all these other gyms, but it's all because of Muay Thai, probably people coming here to train. And now all these other gyms have opened up, you know, that not only have Muay Thai, but MMA as well. It's pretty insane to. When you talk to these uh, elite fighters that are coming here, do they all tell you the same story why they're coming or typically what is their, their reason or motivation to come here? In my opinion, I think that I think that coming here as like a high level fighter, 
I think maybe in the beginning it was, you know, like different people were coaching and, you know, back in the early days, like Woody said, but I think like over time, I know like at least for us, uh, Alex and my brother and Woody, we all kind of trained, you know, the fighters together. And um, I think it helped us, you know, like with recognition and, um, but I think for, and so people now come, you know, specifically to train with us. Yeah. Um, I mean, you get guys like Khalil, Bam Bam, right. Petra Young, like if you're, I'm assuming you guys are probably close with Khalil Yes. In that sense, so you have a conversation with him. Do they ever explain like what was that decision? Like why, why Phuket? Why not? Not just Tiger, but specifically right. Phuket to come training and actually come live here for months on end. Well, Khalil came because he he had been knocked out by Johnny Walker in the clinch, and he went to Pechindi and in Bangkok, and then he got a call and got a fight, and then just came down and trained and liked it, and we hit it off, and that was that. But I think a lot of fighters like. Now fighters know they can come here and get high-level training. Uh, but also think about being in, like, America or Canada. You're driving everywhere. You're going to this gym for this. You're going to that gym for that. You can come here to one of these different gyms, and you have many gyms to choose from, and you can get everything under one roof. The most expensive part is the flight. Once you get here, everything's, you know, relatively cheap compared to, like, you know, the West. And you can get good training and not spend a lot of money. Yeah, I guess that that's especially if you're a new upcoming fighter. Like I remember seeing Petra Young on the soy for his first fight. He was fighting. Uh, the only reason I knew him because he was fighting Mike Malotz, uh, one of his partners, Taruto. Yes, yeah, the Japanese. Jap that was his first fight. So the only reason I knew Petra Young and I stopped when I saw him, just said hello. To be honest, I don't get starstruck. I don't want to bother these people. Let them live their fucking lives. Yeah. But that's how I kn I knew that he was coming here, and he's kind of been loyal ever since. Um, with that being said, do you get any fighters that come here and then they don't come back? Like, for example, like Tied Tuivasa, he hasn't been back since. He's went off to Abu Dhabi. Is there, are, are you able to speak on that? Because I'm sure there's some stuff that obviously we can't speak on and it's quite private as well. But why do people come and then maybe not come back? Uh, I think Tied Tuivasa, like he came, he, he, you know, he went trained at AKA. He yep. trained with my brother and I uh, a couple of times at Tiger. But then he went to AKA in America, yep. which I thought was great for him because of all the big bodies and all the people, you know, like Cormier with the wrestling and stuff. Um, and then I think COVID happened and then he didn't yeah. go back there either. Um, it's just like these gyms in, in Thailand are, they're different gyms, you know, it's not like they're, they're like syndicate gym and extreme couture in Vegas. Cause my brother was at syndicate for mm -hmm. the last year and like, it's like an international hub, you know, people are coming through constantly. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think there's just like different reasons. There's no like specific reason of why maybe they would come and then not come back. Um, but COVID is definitely, yeah, I guess that's the biggest, especially if you, if you're not able to get back to your families, Australia was locked yeah. down and, and whatnot. Did you guys, did you guys notice like, um, a huge falling off of, of major like elite fighters that left? Massive. Yeah, a lot, I mean, a lot would you? Are you talking eighty percent, a hundred percent? Yeah, like over eighty yeah. percent. I mean, like yeah. once, once, like I remember, I was supposed to go to corner. I went to New Zealand in twenty twenty at the beginning in February, and it was getting pretty serious. And I went there for a UFC event for the Tiger. I trained Loma, and then I came back, and I was in March. I was supposed to go with Khalil to Ohio, and then they canceled the NBA. And I knew when they canceled the NBA, I knew like it was you know very serious and then a lot of people man they went home because nobody knew you know it's kind of a scary time nobody knew what was going to happen 
so most people went home and for mo- you know for a long time there was you know we trained at home or we didn't train and then you know the gyms would open up and then we had a you know a core group of people like a small group of people that was like push that up a bit to you can you hear it could just be my headphones oh you can't hear anything anyways <laughs> yeah that's okay um yeah I, I mean i stuck it out i haven't been back home at all uh my biggest fear is like I go back and like just some something crazy happens one week and then I'm stuck in fucking Canada, and that's pretty much a nightmare. So I'm not leaving. But did you guys generally st- both of you stick around here during the whole time? Yeah, I think so. I think yeah. we were both. Yeah, and we were. Yeah, I left five <coughs> or six times to to go corner people that I had fighting. Yeah, because that that UFC machine was still. St- turning like Dana White didn't really I think he stopped it for what a month and a half maybe maybe well maybe not. Really Co- well. Yeah, not long but I did I think four quarantines in Bangkok uh four two-weekers and then uh the last two times or three times that I've gone out uh with the Thailand pass so I've been able to come back which is like it's you know hard to annoying to do all the paperwork but it's so much better than being gone for a week and then sitting in a hotel for two weeks like that's the yeah worst. you can come home straight away yeah. did you did you travel at all or have you left uh yeah i went back to the uk a couple of times just to see friends and family um and also went to i forgot about that went to vegas for yeah i forgot you guys did the uh, ultimate fight uh, with I, with george's brother yeah and I, I, volco I, and whatnot um oh well why don't we just jump into that so both of you guys were volkanovsky's coaches on the ultimate fighter is there an my my brother oh sorry right it it was your it was your brother frank um yeah because they didn't really show you guys on they didn't show you on camera much no you didn't get a lot of camera time (laughs) because i'd watch it and you just kind of see someone in the background um how was that experience then if you want to talk yeah it's cool i mean we were still in covid so you know it wasn't vegas vegas um, and there was limitations on what we were doing, but um, all the boys that we were with, so we were like Craig Jones and, and Volkanovski and, and myself and Frank and, and uh, Volko's training partner, Colby, we all, we all like to train anyway. So um, we uh, we weren't really exploring Vegas as Vegas should be explored. We were pretty much training the boys, going home, resting a little bit, training ourselves, training the boys again. Pretty much the same as what we do every day anyway, but there was just cameras. And, and was it at the, the UFC Institute? Yeah, it was at the PI, at yeah. The PI. Yeah, yeah. So they've oh. got like a, the apex where they have the fights. Yeah. And they've got a gym in there. So it was a cool setup. We had the early morning slot and then Ortega would come in afterwards about an hour late. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then same in the afternoon, we'd, we'd be in on Yeah, I wanted slot. to touch upon that. Uh, I, I did watch a few episodes, and that yeah. was the big call-out, like Volkanovski. And as I think as an elite athlete, the ability to be on time, have schedule, have consistency, I mean, that just is, is going on to prove, you know, who he is today as a fighter. And, and you know, t- I think he's top two P for pound for pound. Yeah, right yeah, top two. Um, and then he called out Ortega saying, like, what the fuck? Like, yeah. you show up an hour late. Like, how do you think you're you're not going to even come close to beating me? Do you think that was maybe a deciding factor why, you know, Ortega's high-level jiu-jitsu and almost won that fight. Yeah. But that extra heart that Volkanovski had, I mean, those little those little things, these subtle nuances, Did you could you see that a guy like Ortega is, he could not be champion if you're going to act that way? Yeah, like... We, we were giving him a lot of shit because, like, you, this isn't about you. So this, this shows, obviously, yeah, you're going to get uh, exposure and whatever else, and it's going to build the fight more. But at the end of the day, this is giving the opportunity to, to a group of guys that, 
you know, want to get in the highest level, um, want to be coached by high level guys and, and whatever else. And so when we when we got the picks and stuff, we, we were looking at guys that are going to work hard for us, going to be coachable. And that's how we picked our team. And we probably on paper, we didn't have the best team at all. But in the end, obviously, we came we came through and we got, you know, two guys uh, contracts, yeah. three guys contracts. Um, and yeah, we were giving shit to Ortega because he was turning up late. And then as the weeks went on, his team were getting pissed about it too. Of course, like you've only got a limited time and then they were ending up having to stay later than they, than they should be. So then they were getting back to the house later, eating later. It was just a shit show for him. And, we pro- and the production team too. Is like, yeah, the the production yeah, exactly. So we were all friendly with the production team and whatever else. They were just kind of over it with Ortega because it was just like, well, you know, who, who do you think you are kind of thing? Like you're just turning up. Yeah, interesting. And we, then we, would be, we would be literally leaving after sitting down, having a coffee, doing our COVID tests, which we had to do pretty much every day. Um, and like, so it'd be like 45 minutes later and he'd be rolling through the traffic lights when his team sh- is already there, just shadow boxing for the, and it's just like, you can't, <laughs> you can't, you can't be like that. You've got to, you've no, got to respect Not at that guys, level, you know? right? Especially when you're going into a title fight and he, he, I actually, I, I still am an Ortega fan, but I, I was much more of a, an Ortega fan maybe two years ago until Max pieced him up and I said, oh, never mind. This guy's not at that level. Like, yeah. um, were, were you in Vegas for the fight as well? For for the for the Ortega Volkanovski oh, fight, I was I was there cornering Loma while they were uh, okay while they were filming the show, but I was not in in Vegas. No. Yeah, that uh, did did you talk to? I've heard a little bit of Volkanovski explain it after that, but did you talk to him after the fight immediately? Like, how close and how tight was that 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 choke? Yeah, uh, I think Frank has him, and he he'll say it himself it was tight. Yeah, but I think like I watched the fight on my couch here and. I knew like he was either gonna sleep or he would have gotten out of it, and of course, you know, he got out of it. But that's just the the type of guy that Alex is, you know. Like he's there was never a doubt in my mind that he would have tapped, he would have went to sleep. Yeah, it looked like he just muscled his way out of that. Like it, his his head looked like it was about to pop off. Yep. But uh, no, Vol- that, that Volko's freakishly strong, freakishly. Yeah. Well, you got to imagine the guy went from what was he two ten to twenty. 215? <laughs> like, that's insane. To cut down to, and I, I mean, he probably walks around, what, 160, 165 maybe, and cutting yeah, down to 145. But still, I mean, his bone density alone from being a rugby, rugby player in Australia, like, I mean, he's just like a ball of muscle, right? Yeah, he's just, but, yeah, he's he's definitely, like, like what he said, freakishly strong, but it's just like a testament to the type of guy that he is. Like, he's a hard worker. You know, he was like, I remember when he was, you know, when we were training together and, and we were both fighting and he was like, he would go home and like, what do you lay concrete or something? He did like concrete work and like to help support his family and stuff. And it's just like, it didn't surprise me that, you know, it was the only, the, the only time during the fight that, you know, he was in trouble and I knew that he would not tap, that he would. He would just go up. Yeah. That's the thing about, um, like a lot of the guys that we've passed through, George, probably the same as me is you can single out the guys that are going to be up there. And we said right from the start, Volko would be champion. Any, any, anybody yeah. that is like a champion that you've seen come through Phuket that we have either trained with or coach, like we we've known many years before. Yeah. And that's not like, you know, 
an arrogant thing. It's just they were that good that we all. It doesn't surprise us at all that yeah. you know they're having this. What is that, that specifically? Have. Is it consistency, habits, the dedication, the heart? Like how how can you you know what what are a few examples of things you, maybe you've seen a Volkanovski in the gym that kind of you know when, when it clicks and says that guy's going to be a champion. Is there anything specific you could you know recall on? I think that they just have that thing, you know, like it's that thing where like you will go to sleep or you, you know, they're like Volk's a professional in everything that he does. Jan is a professional on everything that he does. And, you know, and everyone else that, you know, that's had success, they just have that, you know, that thing that they, like Woody could tell you, like when he trains athletes in fitness and people probably think it's just a lot of lifting weights, but like, preparing for a fight like because he used to be my trainer as well and those workouts I used to cuss at him and everything but they're just they're like you go to a very dark place during those workouts and I'm sure that he could tell you that some people you know they smash it or they die while they're doing it but they get through it and they do it with it at 100% and then there's other people that maybe they don't have the same intestinal fortitude as you know the other ones that have that it factor. Would you say it's the wrestlers that nine times out of ten have that extra grit because yeah. of how they grew up? I mean, and, and that, that's a, a, a testament to any podcast you listen to, like a wrestler compared to, a, I don't know, a BJJ expert growing up or someone in Taekwondo or karate. A wrestler is going through some serious shit as a kid going through D1, and you can probably talk about that compared to, you know, someone just coming into it. So I guess the question is more like, do you agree with that? Like these wrestlers are the ones that can really push through the, that, that dark place. Yeah, 100%. I've, uh, I've actually mentioned this before on, on, on a previous podcast that, yeah, it's kind of not every, not every one of them, but majority for sure can just, you write something on the board, they know it's going to suck, but they'll just go at it and they'll just keep going, keep going, keep going until they're done. And I think that's instilled, like, obviously, George, I don't know anything about, you know, the, the American wrestling and, and what the guys are doing in Chechnya and stuff like that, wrestling-wise, but all I can tell you is, yeah, they, they have something in their mind that they can just switch and just, they'll, they'll go to dark places for you. <laughs> yeah, maybe you can touch on that, George. Like, I mean, as coming from D1, I mean... What were you guys going through specifically to, like, you know, allow you guys to get through those dark places when training? I think that, and, you know, it's not everyone's that wrestles is not like that, but you just, I've wrestled since I was five, and you just, over time, like, it takes so much discipline to make weight. Like, I remember my sophomore year of high school waking up at 6.30, running in a rubber suit, going to eat lunch, and I'd eat, like, some shit food at that time because I didn't know anything about cutting weight and then I'd ride the air down bike for 45 minutes in a rubber suit and then I'd go and this is very stupid um, and then go to practice and then go run one more time when I got home but that's what I thought I had to do to make weight um, and then when once you get to college you know you're waking up every morning at you know 5 45 6 o'clock whatever time uh, training is or pre you know your uh, preseason training and then you have practice and then you have class and then you have practice again and then you have to study and you're like juggling all these things so whether it's whether it's high school or, or college you know it's just like the guys that can't make it usually burn out how what percentage of guys can't make it 
Because I'm assuming as you're, you're doing this, you're doing this with a group of guys and it's kind of that mob mentality. Like, well, I don't want to fucking fail. Okay, so I'm not. So right. you're kind of pushing each other subconsciously. Well, college wrestling is not for, you know, everyone. And guys that there's, you know, really good wrestlers that don't pan out in college and they end up like dropping out and things like that. Um, but yeah, I think it's just like, I think to wrestle, like anybody that wrestles, whether it's one year or their whole life, you know, I have a lot of respect for because they know, like I've met a lot of people who have wrestled for maybe two years and they like, they'll, they'll like laugh and be like, oh yeah, you know, like whatever, whatever. And they ended up not wrestling longer, but for that two years, you know, like I have a lot of respect for them. Um, but it's just like, it's, you make a lot of sacrifices, I think is the, is the thing, a lot of sacrifices and it's just instilled in you constantly in practice you know like about going the extra mile doing the extra thing you know putting yourself through that and yeah, yeah i mean i find so i i've been i've trained muay thai and jiu-jitsu i've, I've probably trained jiu-jitsu for about a year to be honest like i kept fucking my shoulder up that like i couldn't get to the gym and then i would just get fat so i'm like okay, I, i'm not doing this anymore like you'd be out for like i'd tweak a shoulder and like i'd, I'd have to get like a cortisol shot or something i'd be out for like Two months. Couldn't do anything. Muay Thai, on the other hand, for me, I wasn't going into it for the fighting. It was pure for the cardio. And I would, uh, I probably trained that two, three years, but I would two or three times a week. And then I would purely be with a one-on-one -on -one trainer. And my, my routine was, okay, five rounds, five-minute rounds. But that would take me two months to get to that level, level. It would start off with like three rounds, three minute rounds. My point is like that cardio alone, like I could not breathe at the end. How does wrestling compare to that? Is it even on the same level or is, would you say wrestling is on a, on, on a much more intense level than even comparing like that type of um, exercise in Muay Thai? I think wrestling is, uh, in my opinion, it's, and I've done, you know, MMA and wrestle, wrestled my whole life. But wrestling is like, it's seven, like if it's a college match, I think it's still seven minutes. I'm so far removed, but it's like the whole match is you're using every ounce of energy. Every, it's just like a complete burnout for the whole time that you're there. Like you're using every piece of energy in your body. But I think that wrestling is like mentally, it's, it's not even so much about, cause you get in such good shape. Like when I was wrestling in college, that was the best shape I've ever been in wrestling practice in college was way harder than anything I've ever done for MMA. And I think it's just like mentally there's so you have to be so strong as a wrestler, if, you know, and it comes from many different things from cutting the weight, the discipline from, you know, missing this thing and could, because you have to be at practice or you have to, you know, compete. But the, the wrestling workouts, the things that I've done, you know, as a kid in high school and college are like nothing whatever that I've ever done since then has ever compared to that. And it makes you also mentally stronger to live in places like Thailand. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, see, I, I lived in China. So coming from China to Thailand, like this is a, a breeze. Like, I don't know. Have you guys been to China for any? Yeah, we've had a couple. Of okay. So then you <laughs> get it many times. So, so you get it. Like I lived, I lived in the, the belly of the beast. Where at? Uh, Shenzhen. Okay. For six years. So and it wasn't even that bad. Shenzhen shook. Yeah, that's like, great. Yeah. It's It's, and that was enough. Yeah. Like, there's days where just, you know, a Chinese guy, you're at 7-Eleven having a beer with your friends after playing hockey, and a Chinese guy comes up to you eating an orange and just spitting on your foot. That's very strange. 100% normal. And they'll just, they're just looking you up and down. And, or you go into the shopping center, and as you enter, some lady's holding a baby over a garbage can taking a shit. Like, yeah. 
100% normal. So you become so desensitized that I found when I came here, you get these older guys. You know, you know how Thailand is. You get the complainers. Like, it's nothing as good as back home. Well, fuck, go back home. Good yeah, luck. Yeah. You don't want to go back there either. It's a, back home, is, it's boring. Let's be honest, right? So when I get here and I see a Thai guy cut me off, it's like in China, they will, if they miss an exit, let's say on a highway, they will literally stop because the, they've passed it on GPS and back up on a highway where people are going like 120 That's and just back up in the lane and then go off. So you've, I've seen it all, but um, I, I guess we lost track there. But it's, yeah, I guess re- wrestling and, and, and uh, martial arts, it can, you know, make you strong enough that... Nothing can really go wrong here. I mean, always expect the worst here. Never expect everything to go smoothly. But no, it never does. But I feel like, like I said before, you know, like if you stay here long enough, you... My benign, right? It. It's kind of that my yeah. benign mentality. This, and, and if you don't take that on, I don't think you'll ever last here either. I agree. Have you had people come through where it's just they get too stuck to the, the ways of, of home and they can never change of, no, this is Thailand, this is how it works here? Yeah, I think I think so, but... You like kind of on especially the Tiger Street, it's pretty westernized. Um, so you know that, yeah, your food might come out late or they might get an order wrong or whatever it is, but kind of everyone kind of deals with that okay. But there are always, like you said, the complainers and guys that just can't handle that their food's always late or that can't handle, you know, people cutting them up and stuff like that. And it's just, you know, it's just one of these things you're not. This isn't our country, you know. So you just got to roll with the punches and either love it or you you, you get out. <laughs> well, there's and that's probably half the reason as well. It is third world. Let's be honest. The infrastructure is not like first world, but that's why it's much cheaper to live here as well. But in general, I mean, it's uh, I thought I I would honestly I don't think I'll ever leave here. I've I've I haven't been back home, and I even told my parents. I'm like, you know where to find me. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that. That's all, all of us in this room, you know, love this place and yeah. we never want to leave. But yeah, you either like that's people that complain. I'm like, well, if you don't like it, go back home. Exactly. Yeah. And it's I, living in China. If you went to a dinner with, let's say, five people, 100 percent, one person doesn't even get their meal. So here sometimes if I even get the meal, I'm like, that's great. <laughs> and like I would say two times out of 10, it's wrong. But uh, you're, you order Pad Thai and you get, you know. Uh, pak, uh, pak or yeah, yeah. you get green curry. You're like, well, I like that too. Yeah, it's right? not a big yeah, deal, right? You kind of just roll with it. Yeah, yeah. Because you don't want them to throw it out and lose money either. And maybe they made a mistake. They've had a long day. It's fuck. Right. It's bloody hot here. Right? I, I hate when people like from another country are like yelling at a Thai person oh, yeah. in you know like oh whatever language it is, and it's just like mate, they don't understand you. Like just be calm and try to like get through it. Like this is their country, you know. Yeah, and they, they, they don't care either, which is great. They're just like, all right, sure. But it, it, it puts a bad taste, in, you know, because then it generalizes all Farangs are like this. Like, it's hard for them to see to see the difference of that. Um, okay, let's let's jump. Uh, let's fast forward to, to what you guys are doing with Bangtao Muay Thai. And let's start from the evolution of that. How did this even come about? When did you start thinking of this? How did this grow? And how did it get to where it is today in which you're opening on Saturday? Yeah, um, so we, these con- this conversation about opening our own place happened a good few years ago. Six, seven, eight years ago. Yeah, like we've always kind of wanted our own place, but we just didn't really know how to go about it. And we, you know, we didn't have the, the capital and whatever else. And um, COVID hit and 
you know, we were kind of without work and and we were kind of sitting around. And then Alex, um, our other business partner, he was like, lads, I've been thinking, I think this is the time that we, we start to, to pull our fingers out and we kind of get the ball rolling. And me and George were like, yeah, yeah, me and George are quite similar <laughs> in, the, in the way that we're a little bit survive, survive, should we say? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so Alex was like, Right, I, I'm going to go and start looking around and, and see what, what's what's available, like plots of land and this and that. Um, and yeah, he, he went around and he found a, a couple of spots and we took a look at a few and a few weren't available, a few weren't right. Where, where were you checking besides... Because uh, so you're you're at the old revolution, which actually it was a Muay Thai gym called... Sitsampinon. Something for yeah. the Four Brothers or... Yeah, yeah. Yes. Sitsampinon. Sit which is actually the guy lives next door, Tim. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's in the, the, the building right next door. Nice. Nice. But... um. So you guys, you found this location. What other locations were you looking at? So we looked... Um, Chalong, Rawlai. Yeah. We looked everywhere. Yeah. We had like a couple like good ones and then something happened to it, fall through or like, I don't know. But when Alex, like like Woody said, he was like, he's the driving force behind this gym. He's the one that, you know, kicked us in the ass and was like, this is the time. And um, yeah, it, like when he first mentioned about coming to this area, I remember like, sitting on the couch you know like woody and myself and my brother and i was just like absolutely not mate i'm yeah. not fucking going up there and i was like this is stupid and then i started spending time up here and i was like how ignorant was i yeah man yeah, i was the same i i yeah, I'd not really spent much time up here and it's a hit man it's a, i've been here six years like i've I'll, i've moved around a few times but i hate leaving here and having to go no, anywhere else i've gone a year without leaving here Sometimes, like, uh, because Rawai, it's another, it's another country down there. <laughs> I mean, it's far. It's an hour. Yeah, it, it is. It's like definitely the furthest point away. <laughs> right? And it's, um, yeah, this area is incredible. Yeah, it's and and these beaches, like Nyharn's a bit overcrowded. Nothing, honestly, I think Surin Beach is probably one of the best on the whole island. Agreed. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's and, and I'm Bang not being Tau biased. Well. Living here, Bangtao is nice, but it's it's still it's big, it's open. But Surin, I mean. Wait till the surf starts coming off this point. It's gorgeous. Camel is great for surf if you're not great. It's a bit garbagey though. That's the problem. Like we surf that that in like after a storm. Like literally, you're swimming through bags. Yeah, I started surfing last year. Yeah, it's, were you at going off the point here? Here, Gamala, Bangkok, yeah. just like every day. My yeah. wife was in America for three months, so yeah. Uh, yeah, I did a lot of surfing. Yeah, and that's that's another like benefit if you're getting because what's interesting about Muay Thai and MMA. There's no, is there, there's not really a high season. I mean, if you got to fight, you got to come train. That's it. So when they're coming in, let's say June, July, August, they're also going to get surf as well. Yeah. yeah. So you, you're checking these plots of lands in Chalong and finally you found Bangtao and it just clicked in terms of the land deal or was there a little bit of a push that Alex had to give you guys to get your ass up here? No, I think, I think like, cause he had mentioned that early on and this whole project took about i don't know eight months and once we finally got the land um but in that time you know i spent a lot of time up here like doing like hotel reviews and stuff and um stayed at a lot of nice places and we have a buddy that will that took us out or took me out i think he took you know, the rest of the boys out as well and uh i fell in love with the place and yeah i was like let's go and then yeah because yeah, uh, the way Alex explained it, so he had this kind of little pitch going on and he just brought up a map of Phuket and he was just like, lads, where would you put a gym? Would you put it 
right slap bang in the middle, not close to the water, or if we had the opportunity right next to the beach, would we do it here? Of course, we were like, well, yeah, right next to the beach, of course. And he was like, well, there's some land up here that we could get hold of. And the deal happened to be amazing. Yeah, and, it's a, it's and a no-brainer. It. And, and yeah. once you travel opens, you're going to see how convenient it is with the airport being 25 minutes away. Yeah. And you can literally back road it. Those back roads are gorgeous. Like you can back road in, yeah, 20, 25 minutes. Which is ov obviously it's a bit more of a headache when you're wanting to travel, like say just as simple to Bangkok, and you're down in Rawai. I mean that's another hour on your your trip, right? Yep. For me, like my girlfriend lives in Bangkok now. She's moving down here soon. Um, like by the time I leave my house, I can be in her condo in like three and a half hours. So it's great living up here as yeah. well. Yeah, I've I've been saying ever since I I've been to I've trained at uh, Unit Twenty Seven just for ten days. Uh, maybe a couple of years ago and every time i've been down there i've always said why doesn't someone move this up here i just i couldn't even comprehend it i said if you're coming to thailand to train well, clearly you're not comfortable maybe on the motorbike why wouldn't you want to be in walking distance of a beach because now the new tiger on that side i've been to that tiger facility but with the volleyball net and whatnot actually that's originally where i met frank and sean oh really sean Colbert, like two three years ago um but you can't swim there right you can't go yeah, in it's more of like a bay yeah it's more like a bay but up here it's absolutely gorgeous so yeah. um so okay let's continue with that part of the story so you came up with the idea he found the land what happened next found the land and we secured the land and then we took uh quite a bit of while to like you know start construction and things like that um and then yeah there was a lot of like we trained people at Alex's house and I would, I moved up here last June and then I would drive back to train people at his house. And then he moved up here and kind of every, like we had a small like click of people that we were training that moved up here with us. And then, uh, we had puzzle piece mats down at the gym for months, um, until our actual mats arrived and the construction started. I think we started construction like October of last year. I believe I think October. Yep. And before that, we were just training on puzzle piece mats, and um, yeah. Now the we're to the point where like we're to the point where there's been like phases, at least for me, where I've been like, God, I just want this, and then I just want that, and then. So finally, you're you're adding as you're developing. Well, yeah. Like for me, I was like, God, I just want to have that. I want to stop looking for land, and we just find it, and then like finally, and then it was like, then we got the land, and I want to start construction, and then it's like we started construction. I just want the mats down, and it's like eventually, I just want it open, but. We're finally at that point where yeah everything is is pretty much done and uh, how well planned was that or were you guys kind of building the boat as it was sailing no it was pretty yeah we've had some teething problems shall we say with a with a, with a few things but we've uh everything's turned out better than yeah yeah any problem that we had it's you know things have happened and yeah. and then it's something better comes along and um yeah like i mean alex like you know he did the business plan he did everything he was like he was the driving force of this gym yeah. yeah and um and now like like i always joke with him if it was up to me we'd have been in a shit box compared to what we're in <laughs> yeah. now like the facility that we have now is you know world class and we're excited to be able to you know to put our culture into the gym and 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 have you know train fighters and put more top people in the ufc what what was the 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 uh, uh the vision of this gym behind it is it trying to to um 
be at that level of the the uh, what is it the PI the Performance Institute in Vegas? Are you trying to reach a certain level? Where, where do you see this? Um, and I'm assuming once you open, you probably have plans to even take it to another level, right? Yeah. Um, maybe talk a little bit about that. For me, um, like from right from the the start, I mean we've we've had we've got some good people behind us that have really helped us out. Um, so anything we've kind of needed extra or whatever, they've 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 really helped us come. And for me, I wanted a world class facility because we are world class coaches without sounding yeah no no sounding I mean, like I think anyone would say so, that. So well. and the, we've got more and more coaching staff coming that are, again it's for me. I think we're going to be the best 100 percent in Asia as a team, and we're going to be I think very much like worldwide recognized as well. So. We wanted a f I personally wanted a facility that that represented that too, um, and yeah, we've got we've got visions to take it even further. Um, we've got some very good connections within the industry, uh, so yeah, we, we we want we want this where people come and it's a one stop shop. And so currently, you guys are opening on Saturday, and can you run us through? Like, obviously, uh, we'll try to visualize it. What what I, I've been there before, but. Walk us through the facility. What do you have uh, currently right now? And maybe what are you looking to add down the road? And, and uh, uh, just well, let us know about that. I wanted to start small, but obviously <laughs> we didn't do that. No. And I'm so happy that we, uh, that I, you know, these guys, you know, kind of took the reins. But, yeah, the facility's you know, massive. It's um. I, I saw your, like, your BJJ area where you guys, yeah, you got so the Fuji mats. Like, yep. you, you went all out. And, yeah. I mean, that's... The spaces, the the MMA space or yeah. jiu-jitsu or wrestling, whatever you want to call it, where we do anything MMA-related is, you know, a massive space. I don't even know the square foot or yeah, it's it's meters. huge. It's, it's massive. You can get 100 people on that thing. Right. And, um, you know, the gear shop is connected to it or the check-in office with our gear shop is connected to it. Uh, and then opposite side, uh, you know, is another structure, and that is the fitness area. Uh, you know, Woody's where he does all of his stuff and, um, or, you know, the people that work underneath him that are our trainers. And then this uh, is like the strength and conditioning. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. And then we have, uh, another area in the back that we built that is, uh, like a Muay Thai boxing area. And we've, uh, you know, our head trainer is master yard who we've known, you know, we knew at tiger. He was my first, like the first time I ever went to China and fought, he was like my trainer that like helped prepare me and, you know, held pads for me and stuff. And he was a trainer in Singapore at Evolve. And, um, you know, he was Nong O's coach and, uh, he's trained George St. Pierre. Like, Oh, he's Nong O's coach. Yeah, he, he was before. Yeah. Legend. Um, but he's, yeah, he is a legend yeah, yeah. and, and his story is legendary yeah, as man. well. But we're like, I Woody didn't know and that. I were like so excited to, you know, to be able to have him. Like he was, he used to train George St. Pierre like he was his coach. At they Tiger. Would, no, at TriStar. They would ah, fly him. In Montreal, yeah. Like, I think they flew him out like three different times to, yeah. to help him prepare for fights. Mm. So we're super excited that, you know, we have him as well. And then we have a, a cafe, which is um, cafe, restaurant, whatever you want to call it. But it's, um, it's pretty much finished now this week. And, um, like, it pretty much. Are you guys going to be doing, like, like for example, would you are you gonna do meal plans if someone like myself showed up and said, "Hey, I need a three four day meal plan," and you'll put that similar to pure prep, let's say, or is that kind yeah, of the idea? Everything. Yeah, so that's kind of the way we're, we're gonna go. Um, we want to. Finally. I mean, we've we've yeah, and we're, we're 
with the fighters and stuff that come through, we have a lot of guys that work with the fight dietitian Jordy. Um, we're we're all very close with him too. He's one of our our good friends, so we want to implement that as well, so that you know if they've got um, a meal plan from him, we give it to our chefs and they just create everything for the fighters. Um, and besides that, we're going to be doing normal meal prep as well, like build your own. I mean, box that's a whole business stuff. on its own, right, right. there. You're going to get a lot of people. For example, that's the one thing that everyone that lives in this area has been looking for. So, I mean, I'm going to be spreading this love there you're going to get a lot of people coming because we have uh what's it called it was easy box it's tasty box tasty box is gone yeah they attempted that yeah but okay. it just it just wasn't good like it'd be like chili carne and it just like what the fuck is this like, yeah, we have a good, we have a good chef that we've anyways i can talk years. shit about them if they're gone so <laughs> um so someone like myself can come in and say hey i want a three-day meal plan this is what i like they'll kind of customize something for you is it going to be picking and choosing and then that could be delivered or i'd pick that up how does that work i don't think that we've sorted like that will probably come relatively quickly but not from like the first week that we opened gotcha. the cafe that will not be a part but um our chef is she's great she's we've known her for years she's worked in the industry um but this is on the roadmap let's say of Oh yeah, yeah. This yeah, is, this is, uh, like is going to happen this quickly. Like you, you, in a few months, this yes. might make more than the the Muay Thai. <laughs> 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 no, you'd be surprised because you get. Um, I'm a golfer here, so I go out with a lot of these golf guys, and and I mean everybody here has money, right? So whatever the price is, they're like, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. They, they pay. They no no one's penny pinching here, and when you offer that service, <sighs> man, the, it, it doesn't exist here. I it think really that, doesn't. Like leaving where we came from, like. You know, and that and being at Tiger for so long allowed us to, you know, to build build ourselves up as coaches and stuff, and and make a lot of connections. So it was a, a huge part of our life. But I think like once we knew we were going to go out on our own, we had to have something that could facilitate, you know, world class fighters and, you know, people that wanted to come and lose weight. And we knew that we had to have, you know, basically everything that we have at the gym is is what we knew we had to do. Uh, whether it was the fitness area, not just MMA, because I think a lot of people at first when we they found out that we left, they thought it was just going to be, um, you know, an, an MMA gym. And they didn't know about the fitness area and the Muay Thai area, how massive it is in the cafe, how massive it is. So um, do you guys have a, uh, are you building a cage or like an octagon? Or uh, is that kind of no. We, so we won't have an octagon, but we will have half of a wall. Like okay. there'll be a wall on one side. So you've been in there. So yep. one side will be half of it will be an actual wall and then half of it will be caged. Okay. And that's basically so they can train off their back off the cage. And yeah. So they can do yeah. wall work and things yeah. like that to get off the fence. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm focusing too much on the food now. It's, it's, <laughs> no, like, I mean, this uh, is eventually really we might have a cage, but um, now, no. These facilities like the Performance Institute, there's certain equipment that they do have that um, I've, I've noticed that a lot of the gyms don't. And whether you have it or not, I'm not quite sure. Uh, specifically, like these VO2 max testing machines, um, Tiger does not have that. But I was talking to Sean Cobra on the importance of that because guys like Petra Young and a lot of these fighters, they don't know how to stop training. And then they get sick. And they don't realize like, okay, your VO2 max levels are low today, I think is a rest day, or I think we should deload, or I think you should take the fucking day off. They don't listen, and then they go out, they train at 100%, and then Sean was explaining, literally the next day they catch a cold. 
do you are you guys going to be bringing this high level equipment into your gym is that in the roadmap or could you talk a little bit about that yeah i mean i won't say too much but like i say we've got some very big connections within the industry and yeah that's kind of on the on the cards to to, to bring that sort of sort of stuff to to bang tao too and also that um not just for fighters for anyone that you know health markers is always a good to to kind of see where you're at um but yeah, we're we're looking to incorporate uh, blood work and and kind of all that sort of stuff. So yeah, we've, like I say, we've we've been blessed that through Tiger, we've made so many connections and met some amazing people, and we've we've kind of always stayed in touch with these people. And um, yeah, it's kind of all coming to fruition now. So I'm assuming probably that the saving grace and and the biggest motivating factor of opening your own gym now here is the control of the management to do what the fuck you want to do right were the <laughs> for yourself but were there any were there times and if you can talk about this or not like some things that you wanted to introduce or implement at tiger and you just couldn't get it past management can do you have any situations like that or certain things that you you know you wanted to bring in and just you know it hits that red tape uh for me no there's nothing that like that i can think of that i would ever you know that didn't happen like management I always had a great relationship with the management there. Um, but the thing that I'm most excited about is even though I was the head coach, you know, it's still not my, my place, but now we have the control to, you know, who comes, who stays, who goes and to really put, you know, the culture that we believe in for me, this is like the, the two most important things are putting the, you know, the culture that we believe in, and it's our culture and letting that infiltrate the gym. Um, and then, um, you know, this sounds probably cliche, but like I want to change people's lives, you know, whether it's the office staff that works with us, um, you know, they can train, they can eat healthy and, you know, hopefully, you know, we do a great job and we can pay them, you know, more than what they would make elsewhere, mm. but also being able to, to help the local community and help, you know, tie people. I want to put, more. I have another Thai kid that is probably going to be on the UFC soon, and um, and I want to put more more ties into the UFC because you know they have such a, a rich fighting culture, and we want to you know to really not just move here and you know make a book. We want to help the community. Yeah, that's that's the thing. I so uh, we started a I started a Muay Thai Youth Foundation. Uh, I I tried to do too many things at once when I started. I started. Uh, I did an event in Rawai during the first COVID called Muay Thai and Mushrooms. Yeah, I, I was there. You were there? Oh, fuck. Eddie and uh, yeah, Sammy Eddie, were, were... I Again, I was fucking bored, and I'm like, I just found Eddie on Instagram. I'm like, hey, I'm going to come train with you. So I, that was the, the first step, and then I trained with him. I'm like, yeah, I want to do an event. Can you just, like... I knew he was the connection to make it happen. Yep. And then Sammy came in, and they were announcing, and uh, we're still editing the content. Like, we just got too busy. But, uh, yeah, I just threw that event on. I didn't, no one paid anything. I just tossed all the money at it. I said, fuck it. Let's just do this down at Nyharn. A hundred percent. I'm going to do another one. It was a great day. I thought it was great. Yeah, no, I loved it. I didn't I even it. get to watch a fight cause I was running around like a chicken with my head cut off. We had no idea what we were doing to run an event. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Just put a live band there and uh, yeah, have the Thai guy come out of there. Let's have a camera and just fucking throw a couple cameras up here and let's see what happens. That's funny. Anyways, but, um. Yeah, we started the, uh, I was thinking, well, I have it on the back burner, um, this Muay Thai Youth Foundation. I was thinking that these 
kids, they usually come from like Isan and poverty and they're actually coming into Muay Thai because they need the money to give back to the family. And then what happened during the lockdown, let's say, no longer could the, those kids, you know, go into Muay Thai. And people don't understand that. Like, yeah, I, I understand the ethical aspect of it where should these kids be fighting Muay Thai? Well, you haven't lived that life. Like, they literally have no other fucking choice. And all those kids ended up going into fishing because there was no Muay Thai and nothing to support. So I always thought, like, well, imagine those young kids that are going to come into Muay Thai anyways, but you train them at a young age with proper education. Meaning, like, let them learn English at a very young age and push that. And then that kid, has he has the decision. He can go. He doesn't have to stay in Muay Thai. He can go on. Maybe he can have a fight career. But more importantly, maybe he can be a trainer. Now, imagine you have an elite Muay Thai trainer that speaks fluent English that you can bring into the U.S. Like, that's a huge market. Not yeah. from a monetary standpoint, but just for, like, the evolution and, and preserving the culture of Muay Thai. Because you see a lot of these trainers, there's always... Right now, currently, a huge uh, communication barrier, especially if you go to any gym on the island, right? And I, I thought, like, what if you could just educate them at a young age? Like, you, you give them that option to stay in the Muay Thai, maybe they can go into something else, or maybe they could be a trainer, but, like, at least you kind of open that, that door for them. And now money is not an issue, so they're not forced to fight to give money back to the family. Maybe they can do fighting if they want, or maybe you can support the family. How you control that? Well, that's another story in terms of like giving that money back to the family. I've, I've thought about this, and, and that's something once I get a bit more settled, I, I kind of want to reintroduce again. You should uh, reach out to Warwatana Gym and Boriram. Yeah, well, that's the thing. It's like these are the places, but uh, it's not so simple either. No, no. I've just seen it's a Canadian lady that runs it. Oh, okay. She speaks fluent Thai and Isan, and she has about 15 kids that she since the school and she has built them a new house and it's pretty incredible so I'll yeah and i thought i show I, it to you after yeah I, I i'd love to see that I, I once i i settled this podcast is pretty much running itself now we're good we'll get the mushroom company going then the plan is the muay thai and mushrooms i want to do an event every three months have a little fun always film down at jamrock that is such a yeah it's a dope cool little spot. <laughs> dope little spot there even though it's difficult to film and once all this stuff is running and I, I can, I'd actually have to hire a team to do, to do the charity. But once I'm stable on that side, that's my plan. Um, because I think, uh, especially with the current situation, so YouTube doesn't block us, but, um, with what happened in the past couple of years, ima imagine all those, those kids and the Muay Thai fighters that were up and coming. Imagine a, a Muay Thai fighter in his prime. He literally just lost two years of his prime. That's, it's sad. It's sad. Sad. It's, it's, I wonder how far, far, how far that put us back like in the development of Muay Thai, and especially how influential people are realizing it is for MMA. In terms of striking... I mean, Khalil, his last fights he's won were just, like, ridiculous leg kicks, and he's going in there doing his, like, you know, Muay Thai dance dance, and, like, it's. I think people are recognizing the importance of that. I mean, even uh, Hamzat Shemaev, that's the whole reason he came over here for his little training, because he knew he was going to get leg kicked by Burns. Yeah, and his he has a trainer, a Thai trainer, that yeah. owns the reggae bar, owns Muay Thai, Ed, is his trainer, Bang. Oh, I didn't even for, know, I didn't realize Bang was his trainer. Yeah, for <laughs> Shemaev. Yeah, the ah. all-star at All Stars or whatever his gym is called, uh, Bang in Sweden. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think that that's he that's is a Suet legend and a yeah. and a Soy Thai legend. Yeah. But no, it's I think that um, I think that MMA is going to help Muay Thai a lot. Well, I think it already has. Like you, I mean, 
our gym, every other gym that, you know, people have come here to train Muay Thai. And then, you know, obviously there's a presence. It's where the money there. is, right? That's yeah. The, like, look at, are you, I'm sure you're aware of like Supergirl and Wonder Girl up, yeah, yeah. up uh, like, they're in one, obviously, and uh, she almost, she fought, I forget who she fought, she just lost to, um, I think it was a Singapore girl, but, um, like, you're starting to see that transition where they're realizing that there's much more money to be made in MMA, especially if you're a character as well, and you, you can kind of have that WWE presence, which they do. Yeah, one's been a great platform for that. Yeah. Huge. And also for, for the Muay Thai fighters as well. Um because they, they've obviously brought in the, they've, they've kind of gone uh, like a double show, haven't they, so to speak. So they'll have an MMA fight, then they'll have full Muay Thai rules, but with little gloves, then they'll have the kickboxing. So they've, they've, they've done, they've done I, I love watching one due to that, due to that mixture. Yeah, it's, it's more diverse. Yeah. Kind of, but again, I think you given, have to be a hardcore fan too to appreciate it. Sure. But it's given like people like Nongo and... Superbon, who we've got for a seminar. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, like the amount of money that, I mean, I don't know what they make, but it's much better than what they would make, you know, in a stadium here. Yeah, let's like pull that up a bit. These are, That's the thing about these mics is like you hear that. They're <laughs> yeah. so, it, it just helps so the, it doesn't pick up the air con and stuff like that. Um, so before, before we jump, oh, we're at one hour. Okay, we're okay. Before we jump um, in, into what's going on this weekend with the seminars, which we can't really promote anyways, maybe you can do it on your Instagram and then we'll tag it because, uh, well, this won't air till Tuesday. But um, I, I've been watching you in training Loma coming up. She, I, I think her last fight she won, but was it the one before she lost in a decision? No, she lost her last fight. She lost her last fight, yeah. Um. When you initially found her, like, what what was this kind of vision for her into the UFC? What was your roadmap with her? Uh, the the Canadian lady I just spoke about, Frances, uh, who comes with us on all the trips. She's kind of the translator and does whatever she needs. Um, I met her randomly in a coffee shop. I don't remember what year it was, 2016 or 17. And she messaged me uh, not long after we met, maybe three months later, and was like, hey, I know this Thai girl, she wants to fight MMA. Where should I send her? And I was like, well, send her to us. And then her very first training, she I remember Alex rolling with her, and he was like, mate, are you sure she hasn't trained before? And I was like, no, she's never trained MMA. And, um, and he was like, are you sure? And I was like, yeah, I'm sure. Anyways, after about six months, we got her an amateur fight. Then she made her pro debut in Invicta in Kansas City, Missouri. And I think it was about when she was signed to the UFC, it was about two years uh, to the month of after she started training MMA. But she just has a natural knack where she had, you know, she once she learned about wrestling and stuff, because she's a great clincher. Like, she's one of the best females that there's been in Thailand for Muay Thai. And, uh, you know, Woody's gotten her stronger because she was fighting at Adam weight. And then when she was signed to the UFC, she had to go up to the straw. Yeah, to straw weight. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's been constantly like a, a project, you know, keeping weight on her and her getting her stronger. And, um, yeah, so she's um she's done well for, like, you know, sometimes I joke with her and say, like, did you ever think you would be fighting it? You know, she didn't even know what the UFC was, I'm sure, back six years ago. But uh, now she's in the UFC and, you know, she's she's doing well. 
And when you're, you're setting up those fights, like, are you her manager as well, or does she have a manager? She has a manager. She has a, like, of, it's more of a question of, like, picking the fights, because obviously someone that without, like, a, a deep background in wrestling, you, yeah. can, you need to be careful. Yeah, like, of course, of like, course. I'll give an example, like, Darren Tail fighting Derek Brunson. That was a, he shouldn't have took that fight. There was just, I mean, he's got to fight strikers at this stage, but someone like, like Loma, like when that matchmaking's happening, are you, you're trying to, to keep her kind of against a striker at this point to, well, you don't want to keep her against a striker forever because yeah. at some point, you know, she has to be tested. Um, but yeah, I, I think her manager's done a good job of, you know, or not her manager, but you know, him and, and Francis and myself and, you know, Woody and my brother and Alex, like we all. We all have a hand in, in her success, and um, it hasn't been easy. Um, but, yeah, she's she's just, like, she's pretty incredible, you know, when it comes to fighting. Like, she's obviously she's coming off a loss, so she some things uh, she has to change. But, um, yeah, she's... Was, was it decision? Uh, yes. Decision. So... Do you think the these Thai fighters that are coming into MMA, like they're going to be more successful in a five-rounder because typically in any Muay Thai fight, they don't really do much in the first two rounds anyways as, you know, for the gambling reasons. Yeah, I don't or think that that really as, as this mentality completely, you're able to train them like yeah, three-rounder, you got to get going right away. Yeah, well, they have to change everything because you can't, the distance in MMA is very different than it is in Muay Thai or it is in boxing. Um, so for me, Muay Thai... I think is one of the best striking, you know, that you can have. Um, but you have to change everything about it. You know, you can't stand like you do in a Muay Thai fight for an MMA fight. Um, and Loma's, you know, it's taken years, but she's now she moves like, you know, an MMA fighter when she's fainting and moving and, and, and things. But it's taken a long time to do that. And any, the other kid that I have, Top Noi as well, he fought, uh, he's fought in Ryzen in Japan a couple of times. Mm -hmm. And, um, He's completely changed the way that he fights compared to when he fought. Muay this Thai. is the kid you're, he'll be coming to the USC, you think, or I think he's not far away. Not far away. Yeah. What is that um, that catalyst, or or how does that work? You know, going from these these smaller promotions and jumping into the UFC. Do you reach out to them, or do they reach out to you? How does that work? Um, I think just through the network of like you know I know people at the, the UFC, but I just let you know their manager deal with it okay um or like loma i knew from the start like i told her manager this girl is gonna be good so we like you need to take care of her and she's made it to the ufc you know, like i don't know you just you kind of know you know when when someone has that thing it's intuition you can't really even explain yeah, like, it right you know Loma's not a conor mcgregor she's not you know people aren't lining up to see her fight because of you know how much shit she talks or anything like that because that's not who she is but her skill is very good and she's you know improving all the time and the same but top noe on the other hand people will line up because he's a he's entertainer oh, he's that he's an entertainer through and through yeah um yeah so they for a tie fighter they have to change you know everything but i think also Grappling comes natural to them because of clinching. Mm. Um, it's so different, but very similar at the same time. Interesting. Um, to go back to the strength and conditioning side, when you were working at Tiger, can you kind of touch on like some of the elite fighters that, that you were working with and and working with them, uh, sharing that experience of, of like uh, how that relationship you know, went? So. Um, 
well, it's been obviously I've worked with you know a lot a lot of high level guys have been kind of kind of blessed to be in that position to to do that um like Volkanovski obviously from when he was competing in PXC I think that was is that was that Guam yeah Guam. yeah Guam and then he became the the champion in that and then he moved on to uh fight for a title in Oz and then obviously eventually UFC um listen like the way kind of the way that we all are we we create that like a a good bond with our athletes like it's very intimate yeah it's like we it's business but you know we're we're friends but there's a huge psychological aspect to it as well for in sure which, for sure yeah. because you you yeah as a coach like you have to know kind of like what's what's going on with with the with the athlete you know because <laughs> there is a, there is a lot of stuff that goes on and for there's sure. a lot of things behind the scenes that you know people aren't happy with it end of the day yeah okay they might be good at fighting but they've still got their own lives whatever's happening but you know behind closed doors so yeah i think i think i think it was you were saying that you you or uh, from the podcast i listened to this morning it's maybe they had a fight within a relationship and they got three hours of sleep last night and these, these like unforeseen things that can happen you have yeah. to know like every athlete that myself or my brother or alex or woody had you know trains or has trained we've never We've never like reached out and said, "Hey, let me train you." You know, like it's you. It, it's a lot of trust, and over time, like Khalil, it took him a while, and then he said, "Hey, uh, can you help me for the first fight that he had that I cornered him for?" Or you know, different athletes that come through you know this area because it's different. They all have coaches at home or training partners at home as well. So it's it's a lot when they come out here and then they entrust you to you know to take care of them and it's the same thing with Woody you know is like is there politics there that you, they have to be careful as well it's like kind of I leaving a coach I, do they feel it like do the coaches ever feel like I have no idea but I don't think that it's like guys that we work with mostly they spend a lot of time out here you know it's not like they're staying at home the guys that we help and go corner this is usually where they make home for a while but it's. They come to us, you know, I would never go and like say to somebody like, hey, I want to hold pads for you or something like that. You know, it's like just through, you know, in our training classes or, you know, working with seeing what we do in a class or whatever. They they trust you and then they come there, you know, they'll ask Woody, hey, you know, can you help me with this or George or Frank or Alex, can you help me with jujitsu or wrestling or whatever it is? And um, yeah, it's a very like a relationship you know mm. it's a, it's very intimate and they have to trust you because what they do for a living is not like going for a stroll into the supermarket you know it's how i more of a fan i've always had this question so you're watching these big gyms like american top team and you have your tigers and, and even your gym itself i mean i've been the facility is massive as a coach you can only spread your energy so thin across so many fighters otherwise you're constantly on a plane and corner someone else and that fighter maybe they're in a 12-week program but you can't be there the whole time um how, how like what are the differences between like a gym like yourself or like let's say trevor whitman where i mean he's about to get his third champion most likely i think gaichi wins that and he's coming from a gym where it's pretty much just him and the champions that's it can, can you talk a, a little bit about that and like what are the, the major differences because even on I would have to assume yourself you're constantly traveling yeah I travel before COVID I was traveling a lot but I think our gym just because there's 75 people in a class at Tiger or our gym or wherever 
they're not all your fighters. Like, they're there to use the facility to have the training partners. It doesn't mean you're their coach. Okay. Some of those athletes, yes, you are their coach, and those are the ones that, uh, you know, you're traveling for. But, you know, the core group, like if I have, let's say, for an example, if I had 50 people in a class, maybe only 10 or 15 of them, I'm actually their coach, and I'm helping them all the time, um, or my brother or Alex or Woody. They're not all our fighters because this is like a hub of, you know, a place where people come because it's a nice climate. There's a lot of good training partners. And, you know, that's a big thing here is the training partners. But yep. the uh, the ones that if I'm gone, then, you know, my brother's taken over. Alex is taken over. Um, and, yeah, like they have to understand every, you know, sometimes I'm not going to. Just because I'm not there doesn't mean that they're not getting good training or good mm. coaching or good good work. Like, bro, at City Kickboxing, Israel prepares for a, a UFC, like, you know, title defense, and he's in there sparring with a mom. But you know <laughs> yeah. what? Nobody says a goddamn thing mm. to that coach because everyone respects him, and they know, like, you know, the proof is in the pudding. Yeah. And sometimes, like, out here, fighters, like, it's, it's a bit, like, it's different. It's yeah. different. And that's why we're excited to be able to be, you know, totally in control of everything. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming there's a whole other world of politics behind the scenes that nobody even realizes or sees as well and um they kind of just see the gym from from the outside um what is let's call it your usp your unique selling point how is your going gym going to differentiate itself from these other gyms you know not just in in thailand but around the entire world so you're driving these elite athletes to you what is what is that like uh you know that outlier that's going to bring these people in i think it's kind of the Again, say this, but don't don't worry. Yeah, say it. I, we yeah, understand. Yeah. Like, it's not just the ego, but it's it's the truth as well. Yeah, I think I think the, the team that we have is going to drive a lot of people, and also the fact that we've we've kind of all worked together for so long, and we've we've worked with a number of athletes for so long that those guys are you know going to come back and, and work with us again because that's you know that's at the end of the day. Yeah, okay. Even our facility, you know, every facility whatever, whether it's beautiful, it's a shed, whatever it is, if the coach is there, are the guys that you entrust and trust with your career, you're going to go wherever they are. So I think we've we've kind of, between us all, built that reputation um, to a high standard and that's that's kind of what's kind of dri- going to drive the, the, um, the elite athletes back to us. But like George said before, we, you know, this isn't just going to be an elite training facility for just for fighters or, or whatever else, this is going to be for everyone. And I think, again, what, what George was touching on, our, our kind of culture in the gym and stuff like that, you know, like we, we like to train hard, work hard, but we we like the banter as well, you know. We like to... Gotta have sh- the banter. Yeah, we, gotta, we, gotta, we like giving people shit in class and, and whatever it might be, you know. And um, Yeah, yeah you'll <laughs> yes. be too stressed out and... Yeah, and there has to be a little yeah, bit but of Yeah, but who wants to come train with somebody that's yeah, like... Yeah, screaming at you. And right, like you want to... You want the people to come back, whether they're a professional fighter or not. You know, this it is a business at the end of the day. And I don't know, I was a car salesman before, <laughs> so it comes natural. But, but do, are you guys connecting as well? Like, let's say a guy like Khalil or Taito Ivasa, like, not just in the gym, but you're going to dinners, you're hanging out. Like, it's it becomes more family? Yeah, that's, that again, that's kind of what I was saying before is, you know, we're, we're all kind of friends with these guys too. So, you, you, as a coach, you get emotionally involved with the person. Not just um, as a as a like coach athlete, but as a as a friend as well. So you you know you want to you have to obviously draw that line 
There are times where you have to be like, nah, come on, lads. They have to respect yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. But it's an intimate sport, so it's a very different than like a football. It's the same way as wrestling. A, co- a wrestling coach to whether it's a kid or, you know, a college coach, the relationship is very different that I have, have seen in my time rather than my friends that play football or baseball or basketball. The coach, the wrestling coach is very different. And MMA is very similar. Yeah, yeah. It's cool. It's good. You know, it's a everyone's it seems like it's but it's also yeah these elite athletes at the the end of the day they're still human so i mean they're gonna have to go through their you know personal stuff as well that can affect their their fighting but i mean as a coach the psychological side i have to assume that it's almost a 24 7 job meaning like if you're training a fighter and you've told them to stop running or whatnot and you see him running around at night, like you're still friends, but there's a line you probably have to put him in his place at a certain point because that's also why they're there, right? right yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm, if that's the, if something like that happens, and that's happened many times, and I'll call Woody and be like, hey, I just saw so and so running. And then he. Who's, go- who's good cop, bad cop? <laughs> uh, we can pretty much. <laughs> We're, we're shit at that, <laughs> that yeah. type of thing. But we can, we can like... So, like, how, like, how would on. you handle a situation like that when you have a fighter, an elite fighter that, you know, don't train and they're out running at 11 o'clock at night? MMA is, like, very different, you know? It's very different from Muay Thai where the big boss is the big boss and that's it. You know, MMA is, like, it's very different. And d- doing it in this country is very different. But, no, I would just say, listen, this is, like, did Woody tell you to run? The answer is no. Okay? Then stop running like either listen to us or you they have to like if they don't respect if they continue to do something and i don't think this has ever happened you know if if the person was running and they weren't supposed to be running and we said that then they wouldn't do it anymore like i've never had a case where somebody just kept going against what i was saying um but yeah if that was the case then i would you know say sorry like you, you don't trust me enough so that you know i can't hope like it just it hasn't happened. And and is that because the the schedule and the regiment that you set up for these athletes is so strict in terms of not just diet but their exercise routine that they shouldn't be doing anything outside of that? Yeah, I mean, just to touch on that again, I, I kind of had um, an athlete. So you've got to understand as well me. where people people are coming from, different like so people from that being in Russia completely different to the people in America, say. How so? Um, I'd say in America it's a little bit more structured and they, they're kind of on that 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 path already because a lot of guys have come through the college, uh, whether they've played football or they've wrestled or whatever else. So there's kind of discipline there. Um, not to say that they're not disciplined in, in the Russia, like in Russia or wherever else they come from, but it's just different. They, they, they're, they're more the mentality of let's just work as hard as we can all the time. And whilst that's a, a great mentality to have, it's also can hinder you. So you have to slow these people down. Um, you, you talked about it a little bit before, like, you know, like Peter Jan will, will train hard all the time, but sometimes you just need to slow these guys down. And, um, you know, when I was just starting out training MMA guys, I had a couple of, of, of the Russians and, and Chechens and whatever come through. And, and yeah, we would see them running on the beach when they were supposed to be, you know, relaxing and whatever else. And I'd pull them up, but it, it took a little bit of time. But then they started to realize, oh, okay. Yeah, okay, if I rest, actually, I can go yeah. you know, 90%, 80% rather than being on a 50%. And they were starting to realize. So, again, you've just got to build that trust. 
And once that trust there, that's the key. Yeah, you, you catch them in, in the grocery store. I always see them shadow boxing. You still <laughs> yelling like, "Hey, that's enough!" <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you see these guys always on the island. You're like, I remember Dan Hooker shadow boxing one time in the Tesco. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I see them all over the place. They're not trying to be funny. They're literally like, I sent him a message and I was like, "Mate, stop shadowing in Tesco. <laughs> what are you doing?" <laughs> that's funny, mate. Um, okay, before before we wrap this up, because we're probably I got to take a piss soon. Water always runs through me. <laughs> Um, I wanted to, just because of your wrestling experience in D1, and this is more of a, uh, I guess, a hardcore MMA fan question. What is the difference between these fucking Dagestanis that are just running through the UFC and their wrestling versus D1 wrestling? Is there something specific you can talk about? Is it their wrestling style? And just run with that, please. Well, I don't necessarily agree with you. <laughs> well, no, I'm not. I'm not. I, no, no, it's, 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 that, it's, no, no, no. It's I'm just not, saying, like your Khabib's. Uh, like, okay, well, Khabib mm. wrestles off the fence. Everyone he takes down is off the fence. MMA wrestling is is very different. Like when my brother first came, I made him do everything, train everything, so that he could learn the difference. Because um, he's not a fighter, or he hasn't fought. But wrestling internationally in the olympics is freestyle wrestling so if i take you down then you stay flat and try not to let me turn you in parterre position and so i think that and of course i'm biased but i think that folk style wrestling um is i think khabib's just a freak like he doesn't count for the rest of like he's an outlier yeah he's among outliers yeah yeah um but i think that in my opinion folk style wrestling collegiate wrestling, whatever you want to call it, from America is probably the best for MMA because if I take you down in high school or college or elementary for that matter, I can't lock my hands. Whereas in freestyle, which is what they do, the guy on bottom flattens out, and we do that as well in the Olympics, but during the school year, you wrestle folk style, and I have to be able to control the guy that I've taken down without locking my hands unless I'm he's on his back or I'm trying to pin him. Um, and if that, I'm the guy on bottom, I can't go out like I would in parterre because it's considered stalling and the guy on top gets a point. So the guy on top has to hold the guy on bottom down without locking his hands, and the guy on bottom has to get out without, or he can't lay flat. He has to be able to get out or reverse the guy. So in my opinion, it's the best for MMA. Um, and, yeah, I think that, like, I try to, there's been times with, you know, guys that are from Chechnya and, or Russia or, or, you know, other countries as well. That Like, let's say, like, uh, I, I know you guys are close with Dan Hooker, but, like, let's say the Dan Hooker-Islam fight. Like, is is it just because Islam's, Islam's also coming from that Khabib background that they're just, what's in their fucking water? Or, like, what's going on there? I mean, I think Dan just, like, got taken down and that was that, wasn't it? Like, mm. he's, that's, like, his, Islam's bread and butter the same um, thing Islam did it to Bobby Green again as well. Yeah, I'm and just, he's, I'm, he's it's, a collegiate wrestler. I think that Islam probably is maybe another outlier, like you said. That's, like, yeah. That wrestling off of the fence, like maybe some of the guys that are American, maybe they don't do as much wall work as like somebody like Habib and, and, and Islam, you know, like because that's they're taking. I don't remember if Dan was taken down in the open or against the fence, but uh, wall wrestling is a completely different like you know, look at George St. Pierre. He was a great wrestler. He beat how many, like, Division One All-Americans and Division One national champions, like a, a lot of them. Um, I think, uh, you know, on a broad spectrum, that folk style wrestling is, in my opinion, the best because of 
being able to, you know, control the guy on top and still punch and move to submissions and stuff. But wrestling and MMA is not, it's very different. Like, I don't even, a lot of times when I'm wrestling sometimes, but I have the guys, especially if they have fights coming up or Loma or the girls wrestle from, they're not allowed to bend down or, like, bend their knees and bend over like you would in a wrestling stance because in an MMA fight, you're not shooting from that position. You have to lower your level because you're standing upright striking and then shoot, and the defense is the same thing. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's very, very different. And wrestling off of the wall or the cage is very, very different. Like, there's a lot of techniques that you can use to, you know, to defend. Like, Israel does a great job of, yeah. like, maybe he probably gets taken down, I think, statistically more in the open than against the fence because he's long, he knows how to use his body, and he's got great defense off of the fence. Yeah, that, that I mean, his, his defense, uh, yeah. It's it's amazing. Besides the Yang fight, but then I don't know. The Yang had probably forty pounds on the guy going into that thing. Yeah, but you know what? Maybe they fight again the next day. And, like he beat him on that yeah. day, you know, and it yeah. was a very close fight. Yeah. What about this? I, I thought this kid was training with you. It's an up and coming Russian. I think he's flyweight. Ma- Magomev or uh, Makayev. Makayev, yeah. Was Mikhaev. he training with you guys? I yeah, thought yeah. He, he was. Was he up here? No, he's not been to Bangtao, but he was with us. The tiger. This yeah. Tiger. He hasn't been back. Yeah, since he left Tiger, he's not he's not been back okay. since so. COVID. Someone was saying he was he might be coming back up to your gym. I don't know. I had some insight. Could well info. be. I had some <laughs> insight well info. Be. I don't even. I actually I might have heard that at a bar one night off summer. <laughs> I was like a Russian guy that might have been friends with him. Right, he's a right. great kid, man. He's he's, he's, um, he's gonna be dangerous. I yeah, think. Yeah, hundred percent. Sure. Like his last prove that. You see his last fight. Yeah. Yep. What do you think? Uh, so is, uh, this is just, I'm fanboying out now. Uh, Kai Kara France, you, you think he 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 gets that win? You think he gets that next fight? I think. Well, no, yeah, I, I guess so. they're gonna. I, I heard they're so. gonna do Dave Dave uh, Davison. Uh, yeah, maybe he'll get the winner of that. That's but, what I heard. Yeah, but I think that he proved he deserves in that it. last fight. Like, come on, that guy's that's like the Habib of his weight. You Correct. Know, like he, what he did to him. So, uh, yeah, yeah. His last two fights, it took him to another. It. it his his uh another guy that we've seen before like yeah when he talks about the cruise ship i i remember cornering him on that on that boat and yeah he's another kid that we've known was going to be you know something but he he didn't he had, he had a loss like three fights ago and he, but yeah, then he made a comeback yeah he's lost uh he's lost i think a couple of times in the co- UFC, but yeah. yeah since that fight on fight island he lost uh, he had uh, that knockout he, he had. dropped him and then yeah. uh, the guy guillotined him yeah, no, he uh, he, uh, he's made it. I because I, I thought when he had that loss, and you know how it is in UFC, it's like you get those L's, and it's like it set your career back like two years. He came out of that real quick. Yeah. Um, before we wrap this up, uh, Sahudo Volkanovsky, stop, stop, right? <laughs> Fuck, why would they do this? First I of all, I don't think that they would do that. Like, I, I think it's I the think stupidest we'll fight. Yeah, like, I don't think we'll do I'd it. rather, I'd, l- I'd rather see Holloway Volkanovsky three. So I, think, yeah, I think, as a fan, or a Henry go fight a couple of times. Yeah, like forget away. about Henry. Fuck, like Henry, what you won a couple fights and you retired. Great. Yeah. I, I, he he built his own hype. There is no fucking hype. Like he, I get it. He won some big fights, but I think he kind of got. You know, he he's good, and he won a couple big fights, and I think he just went. He did the George Costanza, like he's going off on a high on a yeah, high note. Yeah. But um, I'd like to see Volkanovski Holloway three. I personally think Holloway won the first for sure. Volkanovski won the second, so I think it's even. But that's just my opinion. Oh, 
But it's it's hard it's hard to come from you guys because you guys are going to be biased on that. I get it. Um, Maybe one day we need to sit down and we'll watch that. Yeah, fight, we got <laughs> the first fight especially. I thought the first fight was very very close, very close. Um, yeah, they were close fights, but I I, I the third I think the I think the third one Volkanovski takes it, and it, and the main reason behind that is I think he's leveled he's leveled up every single fight that if they. I want to see that fight to make him like really stamp it into the fans' minds that like, wait, watch this. And I think he could knock him out. Yeah. Even though I, I'm I'm a Holloway fan, that's the hardest part of the UFC. It's like, you start watching these fights like your Brad Riddells and uh, Fazeev's, and you don't want anyone to win. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I think yeah, Vol, like you say, he's leveled up. He's leveled. He just up. keeps yeah. going. And I going mean, that and last going. fight better and better. Yeah, he just absolutely destroyed. You saw him himself. come out in that last round with. Uh, Korean zombie, and he literally went, "Are you sure?" Yeah, <laughs> he's like, "All right, yeah. here we go." I think he, uh, yeah, yeah, he, I think he does a number on Holloway, and then hopefully, like you say, that cements because in our mind, I think he's the greatest. I, I mean, yeah, I mean, you you guys see it inside and out. I yeah. mean, again, I'm not a professional, so you guys are seeing things on another level than than like the average fan. Yeah. Um, what do you think is next for him? Does he he takes that fight? I mean, I heard Zabit's coming back. You got uh, Yair, or does he go up a weight class? Well, I think he he said it in the in the post fight interview eh, that he he kind of said, "Get your shit together, or I'm gonna have to probably move up a weight or, or whatever it is." So, do you think that's a big leap for him, just in terms of height? Nah, I think he's. He, 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 hey, most of his training partners yeah. are probably lightweights, anyways. Like yeah. he's. See, I think a good fight for him, I, I would love Gaethje wins, Gaethje, Volkanovski. That's a fucking sick fight, man. That, that, would, just, fight, that yeah. would just be a banger. Because <laughs> they're, I mean, his takedown defense is superb. Gaethje's given up on wrestling, it seems. Like, he's just, he's really, he's gone to that leg, that calf kick. Um, that would be a great fight. Like, And I think Volkanovski takes that fight, though. Gaethje's just a bit, a little bit too, he overextends, he's a bit too wild. Um, which you saw, like, what Poirier did to him in that fight. He was just more tight. Okay, so before we wrap this up, just let everyone know. Now, by the time this is out, uh, the gym has done the grand opening. Uh, we'll do some stuff on Instagram today. Uh, let everyone know where to find you guys and your Instagram handles and just uh, some information about Bangtel Muay Thai. Uh, well, you can find uh, our gym on Instagram at Bangtel Muay Thai and MMA. Uh, I think on Facebook. You can look at that camera. I think uh, Facebook as well. <laughs> Um, pull the mic to you, man. <laughs> um, yeah, my personal account is ghsck one And, yeah, make sure uh come check out our gym. Uh, as we said, the grand opening will have already happened. But, um, yeah, it's a beautiful facility. It's world-class, and it's a uh, slap in the middle of Bang Tao. And and Woody yourself for uh, are you 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 got a girlfriend now or you're you're single? Yeah. Okay, no, I've got a okay. Otherwise, all right, ladies, stay away then. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the only shout out we can do on your IG <laughs> handle, right? Um, no, if anyone wants to find find you in case they want to contact you, maybe are you guys are doing private training there as well? So yeah, 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 we do. Um, we've got obviously private training for for everything Muay Thai, MMA, wrestling, whatever you guys want, fitness. Um, so yeah, my. Yeah, we've got it all. My Instagram's uh, at Woody underscore VVA. So, yeah, hit me up if you want any uh, coaching or, or just to come and check out the gym, get in the fitness class. And first class is free for anything. So if you wanted to come and try a, try a class, 
most classes free, whether it be Muay Thai, MMA, fitness, wrestling, whatever it might be. So, awesome. yeah. Okay, well, we'll wrap it up. Uh, thanks a lot, guys, for joining us today. Um, we'll, we'll probably come over on, check it out Saturday night Thank you. For, for the opening. And um, I'll, I'll go give that stuff to Hugo Hub. We're coming for you. Well, I guess they'll see this later. <laughs> um, all right, that's it. Thanks. Thanks.